We are from Matthews Automation Solutions, and at Matthews, we design and implement integrated systems for automated distribution centers. Uh, some of our, oh, my pointer's not working. Some of our brands down here in the bottom left, uh, Pyramid and Compass, we focus on controls and software uh, for automated systems. Uh, so we have warehouse control system, uh, full warehouse execution software. At Lightning Pick, we do pick to light, put to light software and hardware. And we also manufacture our own AMRs, autonomous mobile robots, and do all the software for those and integrate them into our systems as well as other people's systems. I'm Austin Santich, uh, System Design Manager at Matthews. So I work with customers up front to help them define their requirements, uh, define system constraints, and design a system that's going to help them achieve their goals and you know uh, accomplish anything that, that they want their system to do. And hi, I'm uh, Paul Rivers. I represent a company based out of the UK called Guidance Automation. We're part of the uh, the Matthews Group and. Uh, when Austin's told you a little bit about what uh, what he does, I'll tell you a little bit about what Guidance does in a moment. So we're going to talk to you about bots today. And we'd like to suggest that you take a systems-driven approach to implementing your bots. So what we mean by that is don't focus on bots specifically or any one technology when you're designing your system. Focus on the end goals that you want to achieve. Focus on what you're trying to accomplish rather than the pieces of that. Uh, so you're not trying to apply a specific technology. What you're trying to do is solve problems by applying that technology. Uh, so that's kind of what we want to talk to you about today. And uh, Paul's going to discuss some of the specifics of, of the bots that we, that we provide. And uh, if you guys have any questions while we're going, feel free to jump in, uh, raise your hand, or just yell at me. I like to keep this kind of informal. We'll also take questions at the end. So AMRs, it's an exciting new technology. You're going to see a lot of people out here showing them off, trying to sell them to you. Um, are they right for your system? Maybe, maybe not. That's kind of what we want to explore today. So when you're designing your system, keep in mind that uh, end users should not really be focused on specific technologies that are going to be involved in their system. What you want to focus on is end goals. So most people want to improve efficiency, improve accuracy, add flexibility, reduce your headcount during peak. Um, so you want to focus on those goals of the system rather than pieces of the system. And you want to consider AMRs as part of a bigger solution. So what we want to do today is kind of discuss some of the benefits, some of the things that we talked about on that last slide, uh, talk about the potential applications where, where bots make sense, and talk about the ones where maybe they don't. Um, and then kind of talk about the process for adopting them. So the technology is important. Uh, the process you go through is important. But what's really going to define whether you're successful or not is the whole integrated system. So what is AMR-assisted handling? Um, combining robotic solutions 
with other solutions in your system to achieve a goal. Uh, what it does is basically allows you to have some flexibility to uh, change your operation as needed, where traditional material handling is, equipment is sort of more fixed. Uh, so bots can be programmed, they can be easily reprogrammed without a big disruption to your operation and without a heavy investment or big construction project. Um, you know, you can change the functionality as needed, whereas with traditional material handling equipment, you're kind of locked in, your conveyor's bolted to the ground, it goes where it goes. And then uh, finally, we'd like to talk about scalable increment, incremental implementation. And basically what that means is you can start small with a couple of bots, and then as you get more comfortable with the technology, as you find out if it works for your operation or, you know, if it... Uh, fits with your company culture, then you can scale up and add more to it. It also allows you to uh, scale up during peak period where, you know, rather than uh, hiring a bunch of temp labor, you can add bots to your system to help get that additional uh, throughput. So why consider bots? Number one reason, growing customer expectation. You know, customers want things sooner. They want next day, same day delivery. They want their order to be right, uh, so improved accuracy. And they want things to be cheaper, so reducing costs. Um, so we kind of talked a little bit on the last side about um, you know, reducing your labor requirements, reducing your head, head count during peak. During peak time, everybody needs to hire additional labor. So you're competing with Amazon, who's hiring 100,000 employees. You're competing with everybody else out there. So rather than try and hire temp labor who's unskilled and unqualified, why not implement bots where you can to reduce some of that re uh, reliance on labor? And then remove some conveyors. That's going to give you increased flexibility. Like I talked about earlier, your conveyors are bolted to the ground. The path where it goes is where it goes. A bot can be changed. You can drop off in a number of different places. You can change that from day to day, you know, from hour to hour. And then uh, your footprint is more compact. Bots don't take up as much space as conveyor does. You can shrink down your aisle size, utilize your space better in your distribution center, have more room for reserve storage and forward pick face. So here's some of the market segments that, are, uh, that uh, we play in with bots. Direct-to-consumer is the big one. Areas where you've got uh, a lot of SKUs, spread out picks, low lines per order. Uh, that's where we really see them coming into play. And anytime you're doing repetitive tasks, you know, same thing over and over, let the bot do that. Uh, let the operator focus on value-added activities. So where do they really fit in? Number one thing, uh, trying to reduce the walk distance of pickers. That's the biggest thing that we see. Um, you know, let the bot do the transportation. The operator can stay in their pick zone and keep picking. Anytime you've got multiple feeds and destinations, bot can be programmed to pick up and drop off at all those different locations based on different processing requirements, based on different order attributes, and you can reduce some of that human error that's involved with, you know, grabbing the wrong item, dropping it off at the wrong place, uh, all those different things. Where do they not fit? 
we see that uh, high volume, high throughput, fast operations. Uh, right now, the bots are not up to that level to handle it. Traditional MHE sorters and conveyor may be better for operations where you have really high speed, a lot of throughput, trying to push a lot of boxes out the door. So what are some improvements that I can get by adding AMRs into my operation? Uh, number one, reduce labor requirements. So you're going to keep your pickers focused on picking. Let the bots do the travel, take things from place to place. The operator can stay in their zone, keep picking totes. Um, it's also going to, as we touched on earlier, reduce your reliance on temp labor during peak season. So. If you are picking in a pick module and you go through a cart build process where you're setting up multiple totes on a cart to go batch pick, rather than having the operator go to a station, collect a bunch of empty totes, put them on a cart, have the bot bring that over, they can go through their cart setup process when they're done, rather than having the operator walk all the way over to a drop-off location at a conveyor for a tote, have the bot do that transportation. Keep the operator focused on value-added activities. Again, you get some flexibility from being able to change your operation day to day without having a big disruption of you know, doing a construction project, moving conveyor that's bolted to the ground. You can just reprogram it um, and then deploy that after you've tested it with really little disruption to your operation. Safety is obviously a huge focus for anybody in a distribution center environment. So uh, bots don't get hurt, you know, doing repetitive tasks, doing heavy lifting. They're not going to get carpal tunnel syndrome. They're not going to tweak their back. Uh, they don't take breaks to get distracted. They stay on task. They complete the task. Whereas, um, you know, humans doing these things, you've got all kinds of variables. So anytime you can improve safety in your operation, you're going to see a big impact um, on your bottom line. And then if you've got DC size constraints, smaller facilities, obviously you need less footprint for a bot than you do for a conveyor to transport product. And then if you have large facilities, um, rather than running miles of conveyor back and forth between different areas, let the bot do that. And you keep that, all that staging area on your floor open for you know, additional processing activities. So now we're going to give some examples of how we can integrate AMRs into our existing systems or new systems, uh, into the existing software that you have in your building, and talk about some of the different attachments and configurations that AMRs can support to accomplish dis different tasks that you have in your operation. So I'm sure uh, many of you have heard the term cobots or order-assisted AMR-assisted order picking is what we're going to talk about now. So having a bot help a human do pick tasks. Uh, so essentially, uh, what we do is uh, we'll have pickers in a zone-based pick. So the picker will be stationed in their zone. And you'll have multiple bots that can float between the zones. So as an operator, I'm in my area. I see a bot sitting at a location. I walk over to it, complete the task. The bot travels to the next pick location that it has, and I can turn around and look for my next pick 
another bot sitting at another location. That way I stay in my zone picking and the bots can travel between the different zones um, you know, as needed. This one is uh, similar to what we talked about on the last slide. This one's put to light directed, so uh, reduce the complexity, easier training. You light up the light where the operator needs to put the item. It's pretty, uh, pretty foolproof. The bots can also manage sortation to different, uh, different areas. If you've got singles packing, multis packing, value-added services or additional processing in different areas of your distribution center, that bot can handle, you know, based on order attributes and, and flags in the data, where it needs to go to drop off these different things. Again, reduce some of that human error involved with, uh, you know, dropping off totes at the wrong station or, or being in the wrong area. So, we've already kind of discussed this on the last slide. Um, I'm going to move on to, this is a, an actual application that we have with our AMRs. It's uh, picking in an ink warehouse. And so kind of the process that I explained to you before is how it works. You've got pickers confined to their zones. You've got multiple bots moving between the zones. And the picker, when they see a bot sitting at a pick location, they walk over. They have an RF device. They scan the bot. It, the RF device tells them what to pick. They pick it, confirm it. The bot moves on, and the operator's free to go complete their next pick at the next bot. And then when the orders are done, the bot takes it to a pack station and drops them off um, based on whatever order attributes are, are assigned to those orders. So this, we call it a swarm, swarm is what we call it. So that's kind of uh, what I already talked about. But we can integrate this with pick to light, um, RF picking, voice, whatever technology you're using today, we can integrate to that and use it in our AMR system. So this is a simulation of the operation that I just described. And so you can see uh, multiple bots here collecting pick containers and then moving out to the different pick locations in the area. Uh, when you see the red, that means there's an active pick. My pointer's not working. See the red totes, it's an active pick. When the pick's been completed, it turns yellow, moves to the next pick location. When you see the blue one, the order's done, it goes and drops off. So you can see the operators staying in their aisle, moving from, uh, from bot to bot, and the bots moving from pick to pick. So here's another application that we've done in the past. Uh, so this Master Movers is a customer of Guidance Automation, and they make these uh, vehicles here and Guidance has outfitted them with the automation equipment to make this possible. And one of the big things here is the, the uh, vehicle can actually go outside and move from building to building. But again, this is just transportation. Um, let the bot do the heavy lifting, move the, move the uh, cart from location to location, and let the operator focus on doing things that the operator needs to do. So another application that we've seen with robots is uh, a robotic arm operating in a put wall unit sortation situation. So essentially you've got a robotic arm here with a vision system on it that can identify items within the tote. It grabs the item, waves it under a barcode scanner, scans the UPC, 
the software tells it an assignment for a put location. The robotic arm puts to the location and then uh, you know, continues. So this kind of thing wasn't possible just a couple years ago with this technology. Kind of speaks to the speed at which the industry is evolving and changing. So kind of interesting to see where it's going to go in the next couple years. So this right here is just a standard transportation bot. Uh, you guys can stop by our booth and see one if, in action if you want. Uh, but uh, so this one has an MDR attachment on the top so it can transfer cartons back and forth to conveyor. Uh, it has a scissor lift on it so it can change elevation. And you know it's useful anytime you want to transport cartons from location to location without having conveyor in the way blocking your aisles. So here you can see there's a lot of different applications. You can, you can transfer to powered conveyor, to gravity conveyor. Um, use these 90 degree transfers to make sure that your tote is oriented correctly. You can also spin the bot to make sure that orientation is correct. And then uh, navigate to drop off points. So again, this helps reduce operator error of dropping things off in the wrong wrong location. It also helps keep your operators focused on doing value-added uh, activities. So here on the left, you see our control panel. Um, this is a kind of small version. You'll see a bigger version of it later. Uh, but it's got, uh, you can click on the different bots and see if they're online, if they have any faults, what their charge level is. You can also see the path, path mapped out. And then over here on the right, you see the actual bot moving back and forth. Um, so again, like we talked about, using the right angle transfer to make sure the tote's oriented correctly, turning the bot to make sure it's depositing in the correct orientation. And then you see the bot sitting off to the side that's docked in the, in the uh, battery charger. Whenever the one that's active right now gets a low charge, it'll move over there to the charging station, automatically dock, and the one on the charging station will, will go out and start uh, executing tasks. So this is, this is a concept that we've come up, and this is obviously not an actual production environment, but what we did was take the inner workings of a vending machine and kind of apply them to a pick situation. And, you know, we, we would work with a client to develop this uh, application if somebody wanted to go forward with it. This is just a concept, but uh, what you, we really see this kind of replacing an operator and a pick to light. Uh, scenario. So rather than the software sending a message to pick to light hardware, telling it to light up a, a, a pick light, we just tell the, tell the uh, vending machine thing to spit out an item when we've got the bot positioned underneath it. So again, a good opportunity to reduce reliance on operators and reduce uh, any kind of errors associated with operator mistakes. All right, Paul's going to talk a little bit more about uh, our bots specifically.
Hi. So Guidance Automation introduced this robotic technology into the uh, Matthew solutions that they have. Uh, we started about 25 years ago when uh, vehicles just followed lines on the floor. They were line following mainly in automotive manufacturing type environments. Uh, very inflexible. The lines would break on the floor so the vehicles didn't know where to go. So people would have to go repair the lines. If you wanted to change the layout or make the vehicles go in different areas, then somebody had to peel the lines up off the floor, stick new lines down. Um, some people bury wires in the floor. It's a similar concept, even more of a mess if you need to remove them or move them and, um, and change them around. Um, we, there is still kind of a more modern version of line following, which is following these um, QR type codes and things on the floor, which still exists. People still use them mainly for accurate positioning when they're trying to dock somewhere, perhaps. If you're trying to align a vehicle with a conveyor and things like that, or a battery charger, people often still use these symbols as a final stage of um, correction of the, uh, of the alignment. But the, the company started by designing this product. Um, simple laser scanner used for triangulation, looking for reflective targets. Um, in its day, it was revolutionary. Um, like I say, people were still trying to follow lines on the floor. And uh, this took the lines away. Effectively, it's an indoor GPS system. So it just knows where the vehicles are based on doing the, the triangulation. We do it slightly different to how most people do it. Most people have a, a time-of-flight laser. They send little laser pulses out, measuring distances and angles to uh, the reflectors. Um, we just have a continuously on laser, which is looking for the um, edges of these reflectors. And that means that the accuracy of the position we can get is still four millimeters. So we know where that vehicle is, whether it's a small robotic vehicle, whether it's a forklift truck, something bigger to uh, those levels of, uh, of accuracy. And as people are squeezing the aisles together and they're trying to stack them higher and things, those vehicles still need very high accuracy as they're trying to move at higher speeds down these thinner aisles, reaching higher than ever. Um, it's amazing how 25-year-old technology is still going strong in, uh, in what it's doing. The more modern version of, uh, of navigation that people like is natural feature navigation, um, contour navigation, as some people uh, call it. Um, that really came around because people were fitting safety scanners uh, mounted at ankle height on these vehicles. And whilst they were looking for your ankles as they were driving around, they also could see the walls and the features of the facility at the same time. And so rather than fitting extra hardware onto a vehicle, the previous triangulation scanner, um, people wanted to try and make the best use of those scanners that were already on the vehicle to try and do the navigation. So at ankle height, they create a plan view of a room, almost like a CAD drawing, and, um, and you can take a map of an area, you can download that map to the vehicle of what the area looks like at the scanner height, at ankle height, and um, you have a map, and then the vehicle can see what it looks for now live, where it currently is positioned in the room, and it matches that image to, of the whole map to the little piece that it can see, and then it can work out whereabouts within the facility it is. And with some wheel encoders on the, um, on the robot, the vehicle knows that it's not gone from this side of the room to the other side of the room in half a second. It gives some indication from simple wheel encoders whereabouts in the room it is, and then uses that scan data to correct any uh, errors that it has in, uh, in the position. There's a, a little video thing here. The gray areas on this uh, screenshot here um, are actually features that were at ankle height from a scanner's perspective. And 
very difficult to see on here, but there's different colors. There's a green for a scanner, the rear scanner, it's on the right-hand side here, and purple for the front scanner, and it's matching to that gray patterns that were there originally as the, as the features, ignoring things which aren't in the map and just matches to what it can from, uh, from what's in the map. So there's bits of the map that get hidden as long as you can see some of the map. You can then add reflectors into these areas where there's not much contour to go from. So it's a combination of that kind of triangulation that's going on as well um, by adding back those features. And of course, you can combine little symbols on the floor if you want for the docking areas. So for us, we have a set of different navigation um, options. Different ones have lots of pros and cons. Um, so some are better in other areas. So a combination works really quite, uh, quite well. As a company, what we do is we go to people perhaps that make electric vehicles or would like to make their own robotic vehicle um, and we help them turn it into an autonomous vehicle. So, for example, we could have a forklift truck manufacturer could come to us with the forklift truck, which is an existing vehicle that works fine, uh, and we would add in a vehicle controller so that we can talk to the motors on the vehicle itself and make it move in the way that we want it to move, make it autonomous from that um, perspective. Add a navigation or multiple navigation sources to that uh, vehicle. And, uh, and then we can send the vehicle back to the manufacturer and say, you know, here's the wiring diagram, here are all the parts that we've added. Um, and I'll show you a little bit more of that in a moment. Um, and then they can make as many more of those vehicles as they want. They then don't need to have a full um, research and development team that um, you know, has to learn how to do all this stuff. We, uh, we're effectively doing it for them as a, as a consultancy in a way. So the advantage when Matthews came to us and said that they wanted to make their own uh, vehicle, um, then we had inside knowledge of lots of our customers' vehicles, what batteries they used, what motors they used, um, all the different bits that they had together on that vehicle. And over a period of many years, you build up some knowledge of what's a good battery, what's a good motor, and what's a good encoder to use, and various things like that. As, uh, as we've gone to there. So it was easy for us to, uh, to help these guys design a vehicle from scratch, which is, uh, which is what we did. Of course, the actual vehicles themselves have to have lots of different sensors and things on. So if it's a forklift truck, it, it has the forks at the, the bottom left there. But you then need all the things that are on the right here, like the tilt sensors and limit switches and drawstring sensors, because when you're driving that forklift truck or driving that vehicle around and moving it, of course, we as humans know where to position it. We know how to put the forks into the pallet pockets to lift the pallet. We even know if there's a pallet there that we're going to collect. In software, that's not always as easy. So we need to have lots of sensors onto all these um, systems and uh, you know, to try and replace the human eyes, which are uh, you know, very clever in doing much of this, which the, uh, the vehicles can't. If you ask a vehicle to drop something off somewhere and there's already something there, what does it do when it gets there with the load it has? You know, it needs all the instructions and all these scenarios need to be thought about when you're trying to set up a system for somebody. So we design them a vehicle base and then depending on the different applications that Matthews have for um, the different solutions for you guys with the full integration that they do, um, there were some different tops, some of which you've seen moving around on the previous videos uh, that we add to the same vehicle base, it's just a different application, so it has a different top on it, depending on what we're trying to, uh, to do. 
The most important part of uh, whether it's a forklift truck, a cleaning machine, or a, a Matthews uh, bot is uh, the fleet management side of things. So whilst the vehicle is controlled and the navigation knows where the vehicle is, something needs to pick a vehicle, send it to where it needs to go, follow the routes that are allowed within the warehouse or the facility as it goes around. So a piece of software would send us an instruction to say, we need to go to location 15 and maybe collect a pallet, for example, or collect a tote, and then we need you to take that to location 57. So we will select the vehicle with this software, we will send it to location 17, do the collection function, whatever that is, that's part of the vehicle and the hardware of the vehicle, and then it will follow a predefined route that's allowed, and they will change and move depending on what other vehicles are moving around the place. Um, it will pause vehicles so that they can all pass each other intersections and things like that. Um, so this is the important part of the, the whole process, really, selecting the right vehicle and giving it those tasks to do. Of course, from all that, you need to do some uh, reporting. Are the vehicles performing well? How are they charging? Various things like that. Um, if things go wrong, we need to know what faults are on the, uh, the vehicles. And all the simple things of how long have the vehicles been running and um, you know, what's the battery life going to be like for, uh, for the rest of them. There's all sorts of other things going forward with navigation. Uh, we drive with, in most cases, two eyeballs as we're driving a, a vehicle around, whether that's a forklift truck or a car outside. Um, so this is kind of as navigation is still evolving, is moving into a vision-based type system, less of the laser scanners and things like that. So there's some work on camera integration and things to uh, you know, make them more flexible in what we're doing. There's also the safety side of uh, things. I'm not meaning for you to read all that text, but um, there's a safety side to all these vehicles. Um, we have to make sure that if the vehicle is going to approach a person, it stops without hitting that person. Um, equally, don't want it to hit walls within the facility and things like that. So there's a whole safety system which goes within the uh, vehicle, and it stays independent of what we're trying to do. So we may talk to the safety system where it would ask us perhaps to slow down because we're getting close to um, an object, be it human or a dropped box or a wall, um, and we can slow down. But ultimately, the safety system is responsible for the vehicle to make sure that it stops and doesn't hit the wall and doesn't um, you know, hit people. And that's a little bit of psychology for people when they're trying to integrate these robots in warehouses and facilities where humans are walking around as well at the, uh, at the same time. And so quite often people want to start with one or two vehicles just because they want to see them move around. How do the workers interact with them? What does the vehicle do when a, a worker approaches them? Do they try and drive around the human? Do they stop and wait for the human to move out of the way? And people want different scenarios. If it's a big heavy vehicle like a forklift truck, you really don't want that making its own mind up and driving around people and doing odd things. Whereas smaller vehicles, people are a little bit more accepting of when, uh, when they try and avoid the, uh, you know, any kind of collisions and interactions. So with all that knowledge that we had, um, there is a vehicle that's, that's created, which formed part of the full solution that uh, Austin's been talking about and that you can see on the, uh, on the booth. We designed it to carry 100 kilograms. That was really because most of the applications that the Matthews solutions are um, aimed at are, you know, 
boxes and packages that humans can lift themselves, so we didn't need to uh, have a vehicle that was suitable for carrying uh, one-ton pallets and, uh, and things like that. Um, the base is the same for all the different functions that, uh, that we have, so you can see how the different tops are just added to the, uh, to the base. Um, the, the fleet management that we have is independent of the application. It can work for somebody's forklift truck in just the same way as it works for these bots. It's about moving the vehicles and taking the jobs and saying when the job has been completed and let other software functions uh, utilize that. Um, so um, the uh, charging, I'm just trying to look at the list of uh, things we've got. Charging the, um, the vehicles as and when needed. There's different ways of people charging, different techniques. Some people want to charge at various opportunity moments. Every time it pauses somewhere, aligns itself with a conveyor, it could potentially get a few seconds of charge if it has the right um, arrangement for, uh, for charging. Sometimes they want the vehicle to run for a full eight hours and then move to one side and sit there. Then perhaps another vehicle comes away from the charger and, uh, and does that. So all the functions which the vehicle needs to do are stored in the vehicle. So that's an element of the vehicle controller. If it's forklift truck, it needs to know how to lift its forks and how to you know, do all the functions that that does. The software just calls for the function. So the vehicle needs to know what that function is and, and how to handle uh, those things. That's a little bit of an overview of the, uh, the technology and the, uh, and the vehicle itself. All right, so uh, now we're going to summarize some of what we've talked about earlier. So you need a defined strategy to implement bots into your system. So the first thing that we suggest that we like to do is get all the stakeholders involved early and talk through the design. So you want to define all your system requirements, get those documented, get everybody to sign off and make sure everybody's in agreement. Uh, the second thing that we recommend you do is find a partner that you trust to help you do the design and analysis for your system. There's a lot of qualified systems integrators out here that see hundreds if not thousands of systems a year. You know your business, they know the industry and best practices. Work together to create a system that's going to accomplish your goals and achieve what you need to do. Uh, and then finally, just look at the big picture, you know, don't, uh, don't go in thinking I need to implement bots or I need to implement any specific technology. Think about your goals, think about what you're trying to accomplish and design a system that does that. So again, in the planning and design session, and we're getting a little low on time, so I'll kind of speed through some of this, um, you know, Document your requirements. Make sure everyone's in agreement before you move forward trying to identify what kind of technology you want to use. Um, you know, once everyone's in agreement on what uh, you're trying to accomplish, do your analysis and look at what technologies are appropriate for your system. That may or may not include bots. And then finally, start small and scale up. So, you know, implement a couple of them. Get comfortable with them. Once you're comfortable with the technology, once you see that they work with your operation and they fit in your company culture, then you can scale up and add more and more to it. That's one of the benefits of bots is you can add incremental uh, capacity. Simulations are a, a powerful tool that you can use to assess 
uh, before doing a project, whether your system is actually going to accomplish the goals that you want to or not. And what we like to do is set up a simulation where we import from a CAD, uh, CAD layout all of your uh, actual um, footprint and walk distances and all that, emulate all the conveyor controls and software, and we like to have configurable um, parameters. So you're going to have configurable slotting, configurable number of pickers per zone, bots per zone, um, configurable number of items per tote, and then we like to run different scenarios and compare those. So change your slotting configuration and run another scenario and see how, the, see how your system works like that. Change your number of pickers per zone, run another scenario, and compare those and see how your system's actually going to perform before you invest millions of dollars uh, in a system that's not going to do what you want it to. So you saw a smaller version of this side by side with the actual bot movement. This is uh, from a much larger warehouse. You can see um, a lot of the, you see bots moving around. It's kind of hard to see on this video, but uh, you'll see the mouse click through. You can get different uh, statistics and reporting on each of the different bots. Again, charge levels, if they're active, what their faults are. Um, So he's clicked on an individual uh, vehicle and he's going through. You can see some of the different attributes and reporting on each of the different vehicles. So during the implement implementation process, some big things that uh, we want to point out here. Choose a partner that you trust to help do your design and analysis. Um, don't try and do it all yourself. There's a lot of people out there that know a lot about the industry that can help you. Start remote testing early as, as you can. Try and get everything tested in a conference room environment remotely before you go out there and actually plug into the MHE and run your actual system. And then, you know, design a process that's going to let you implement your system and make sure you follow it and you're uh, checking all the boxes. And then once you go live, make adjustments as needed. You're going to learn a lot as soon as you go live with your system. There's going to be tweaks. There's going to be changes that need to be made. You know, address issues as they come up and you know, modify your system as required as you move forward. Software integration is key. There's going to be several different software systems working together to make this system work. You're probably going to have a WMS or an ERP. You're going to have a WCS or a WES, uh, some kind of PIC software. And then you're going to have fleet management software, which Paul talked about earlier, all working together to make sure this system does what it's supposed to. Uh, we recommend one host interface. Typically, the WES, WCS acts as an interface to the host and then interfaces to all the subsystems pass data back and forth. Uh, what that does is it kind of limits your number of inter interfaces, which limits the complexity and reduces your points of failure. So, and then we talk a lot about balance and flow. Your WES is going to manage the balance and flow through the building a couple different ways. Uh, it has visibility upstream and downstream as to where there's capacity and can, you know, distribute work as needed based on those capacity constraints. 
you know, if you can't flow product through the building, what's the point of having the system? You're not going to make any money. So making sure that that uh, balance and flow is maintained is, is part of what that warehouse execution software is supposed to do. And then also providing you with information through reporting, dashboards, real-time updates, so you can make decisions on where to staff people based on uh, you know, the level of work. So what are some of the advantages? Um, you know, it's easier to change your operation. You have that flexibility with the bots to, you know, change the functionality, change your uh, flows of paths, all that kind of stuff. You can reduce human errors, increase accuracy, increase safety, and uh, you're going to see a, a big impact on your bottom line from that. And the key things we want you to take away is bots give you flexibility and agility to respond to your changing business without a big investment and without a big uh, disruption to your day-to-day -day operations. Start small, figure out how the bots work with your system, and then scale up once, you've been, once you get comfortable with the technology. And then simplify your interfaces Make the system as simple as possible to reduce your points of failure. And finally, choose a partner that you trust to work with and help you make your goals uh, achievable. So if you'd like any more information, feel free to email us or visit the website, or you can visit us over at booth 4013. And if anybody has questions, Fire away or come talk to us afterwards.